Hello friends and welcome to the Bear Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Cub, a health coach who has been working with men in the bear community and beyond to make small, sustainable changes to their lifestyle and diet. In this podcast, you're gonna be learning about topics like body positivity, weight neutral health, self-love, self-acceptance, and more. So I'm excited for you to be here. A big, warm Cub Hub welcome, and let's get into it. On today's episode, I sit down with the gem of a human being named Jeffrey Benny. He grew up on a farm, became a stand-up comedian, filmmaker, and an ultramarathoner. And he combined all that together to create a film called Once Is Enough. I actually watched the film after I interviewed him. It had my jaw dropped, I was crying, I was laughing. And we're gonna hear all about his experience, what he learned, his whole journey. Uh, it's super fun, super funny. This guy is a gem, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. Uh, I'm Coach Cub, your host. Um, super excited to be here with Jeffrey, um, who I've been stalking on Instagram. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, the stalking is mutual. <gasps> oh my God, you don't say. Um, do you go by Jeff or Jeffrey? Oh, whatever you want to call me. I go by Jeffrey, but I'll answer to anything that's decent. I'll just call you Jeffrey then. Okay, fair enough. Perfect. Um, yeah, I mean, I have like, I know that you're a vegan ultra runner and comedian. You do trail running and ultra running, right? Um, yeah. You're like a plus size athlete. I'm just basically reading your Instagram bio. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, all just read it off. I'm like, hashtag vegan ish. Um, you, know, <laughs> you do a lot of cool stuff. You're a comedian, uh, which I'm into. Um, I've also been doing a lot long distance running, not as, as much as you, but um, there's a lot of cool things I want to chat through. So, but first, I just want to get to know you in general. Um, you have really gorgeous glasses on. Oh, thanks. Uh, thanks. They're just, uh, uh, they're actually transition lenses. So they're a little bit grandpa-ish anytime I'm in the UV rays. <laughs> I love it. Well, listen, I'm so excited to be with you. Um, I mean, we chatted a little bit before we got started. So just kind of like, I know you lived in New York, not too far from me in Brooklyn, but you're now in Salt yeah. Lake. Um, we'd love to just kind of know yeah, where like where did you grow up? How did you end up bouncing around and then ending up in Salt Lake? City? Yeah, well, I grew up in Missouri in a super rural part of Missouri uh, on a big farm. My family was a, a farm family. Um, I was you always a pig? A, you say pig or big? Pig. pig, a big pig farm. A big pig farm. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Um, and I was always a terrible farm boy. I was super not interested in it. I loved playing outside. I was like accidentally outdoorsy, but I was, I was like, uh, like putting on musicals in the front yard and like twirling my mom's baton in the front yard, like that kind of outdoorsy, not like right. <laughs> kind of outdoorsy. Um, 
ended up, uh, I, well, I, I started taking piano when I was a little kid and, and, and I started in music and that transitioned into theater and then I studied musical theater in college and that took me to New York. So I moved to New York and uh, worked in theater there. I was in New York for about eight years. And the first like uh, five, six years I was focused on theater. Um, I ended up getting super, super lucky and booking the Chicago company of a show that was running on Broadway. So I, I went to Chicago to do the show there and then they moved me to the tour, which was awesome. Um, mm. But all told it was like a little over two years with the same show and I got back to New York, I was so burnt out uh, on theater. And so I started dipping my toes into comedy and improv. I did the improv program at UCB and I just loved it. Uh, I was so-so I was at improv, <laughs> but um, not that I'm any better at stand-up, but I took to that, I guess, a little bit more. So. Uh, that, that that kind of became my focus. And then uh, fast forward to a couple years later, my mom, uh, th which this is relevant, <laughs> we'll come back to it, but my mom who had been diagnosed with heart failure when I was a kid, um, uh, passed away and I ended up being in Missouri for like the last like year of her life. Mm. So um, that was kind of career-wise like a, 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 a good, transition point so I ended up moving to Los Angeles I'd wanted to move anyway and I had wanted to do more stand-up maybe film and television so I moved to Los Angeles and then I had this crazy idea for for the for this film once is enough um, and that gave me the freedom to not need to be uh, anywhere in particular so a day job opportunity popped up in Salt Lake City and I jumped on it. I have family in Salt Lake City. I uh, love it here. Um, and so here I am, I'm in, I'm in Salt Lake now. I, I skipped over a number of other minor moves, but those are the highlights. Yeah, yeah it's, like hard, it's like dizzying to follow. I, I'm still just picturing <clears throat> the farm with the batons and I'm like. <laughs> well. <laughs> It's one of my uh, most vivid memories of my mom when I was like a little kid. She was, um, you know, I only remember her being a, like a pretty big woman. Oh. And uh, she uh, would, would, would come out and teach me how to, to twirl the baton. And she had been a, 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 what do they call them, majorettes or whatever. She was, she was a baton twirler uh, when she was in high school. And she used to just like blow me away. I mean, she had like a pretty huge waist and she could mm -hmm. still throw the baton, like flip it around her waist and catch it on the other side. Like it was bonkers. It was so I cool. Love it. Yeah. That's so cute. Um, what else happened? Like, I'm just curious about growing up on a farm. You know, like what was that like? Oh. <laughs> Man, you know, I mean, it was kind of predictable. I mean, I, um, well, I say predictable. I mean, I know what it's like to grow up on a pig farm. So I guess if you don't know what it's like to grow up on a pig farm, um, it's awesome <laughs> in a lot of ways. <laughs> it, it was awesome in a lot of ways. Um, I'm really glad that I grew up in a tiny, tiny community. I mean, we lived in the middle of nowhere, but the closest town nearby had a population of 205 people, um, technically a village. Um, and it was such a cool place to grow up because, um, and I didn't realize this really until I was older, but I realized that I had such a different experience than so many of my friends who grew up in bigger cities. Um, I mean, l literally, I could have told you who lived in every single house in the town. <laughs> Get out. Um, on Halloween, 
uh, my parents and some of my friends' parents would all make pots of soup and they'd have a party at one house. And the kids, we just like ran around town alone trick-or-treating on Halloween. I mean, when we were like eight, when we were very young. Can you imagine that happening now? <laughs> and I mean, this was in like 88, so it's not like it was that long ago. I mean, I'm not talking right. about the 1940s here. <laughs> Oh um, so it was cool. I, I was terrible and really in, uh, disinterested in farming. Um, you know, luckily my parents were super cool with me being a terrible farm boy. There was, I don't want to say like never any pressure, but very little pressure on me to uh, become a farmer. And that's very much what happens. That is very much like what my spread. destiny was supposed to be like in 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 rural midwest america if you come from a family who are successful farmers and you're a male that's uh that's what's expected of you <laughs> and why not i mean you can literally have i mean i think there's a misconception <laughs> that farmers are sell us like, sell us sell us <laughs> i think there's a misconception that farmers are like you know hanging out in the barn in overalls with straw hanging out of their mouths um like barely able to pay their bills and uh, that's that's not the case. Uh, my dad is probably one of, you know, I don't know, top 10 most financially comfortable people I know. Um, and I think that's surprising to a lot of people. So that's why, I mean, honestly, maybe I was the dumb one to not, <laughs> you know, to give that up <laughs> instead of having a successful uh, farming business. Uh, They're like, go, you can go live in like a small apartment in Bed-Stuy. They didn't care. Yeah, they're cool. They're making money on the farm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was really lucky that they didn't put that pressure on me. And also, like, coming out was fairly non-eventful. Um, I, I mean, I kind of waited until it was so obvious that it was a non-event. But, um, you know, when I was a little kid, I mean, it, it was not the biggest surprise in the world <laughs> when I came Got out it. to my parents. And so I, I was really lucky that they were so open and supportive because that's obviously not the uh the usual way things like that go for yeah farm imagine. Or... How, how old were you when you like officially came out or you know you told people um well i told my mom when i was probably like 17 or 18 it was like my senior year of high school wow um i mean in college uh you know Honestly, it was very easy because I was a theater major, so I was surrounded by a really uh, open, supportive environment. And then I didn't end up telling my dad until, well, actually, it was when my mom started declining because I was like, you know what, I don't want her to to pass away, like, not having closure on this and being worried, like, oh, is he going to freak out? It was, he, he knew, <laughs> so it was really kind of unnecessary but I decided to, you know, sit him down for the chat nonetheless. And uh, his response was just, okay. It's literally what he said was, okay. <laughs> and I said, all right, well, I just <laughs> wanted to make sure, you know, you officially knew. And he just kind of like rolled his eyes and was like, yeah, okay, thanks. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, you know, it was just like such a non-event. <laughs> right. Oh, my but It's God. one strategy if you just just wait long enough that it's blatantly obvious you can avoid having to tell anybody completely <laughs> and what, so like now is like what you in like your timeline that was what like years and years later then like well yeah i'm 37 now so that was like seven years ago um yeah 
Got it. My, <laughs> my dad actually came out to me when I was nine or 10. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I can't. And then what I was came, that like? Um, it was interesting. Like it was, um, it, I think it ends up making it a bit harder. Like even when, when you talk to people who have like gay siblings, it's always like, well, it must have been easy. Cause like your brother came out and it's like, no, it doesn't always work that way. So my parents got divorced because of it. You know, it was like the early nineties. People were people were pretty homophobic, even in Connecticut. Um, so I like went deep into the closet until I was like twenty two. Oh wow! And then I, yeah, and then I like figured, kind of allowed myself to figure it out, and then I told my family. But I told my, I told like a few people. I told my dad's best friend, who we called Auntie Dave. Uh, <laughs> and then I told like my mom, my dad's cleaning lady, who was essentially like my second mom. Like sure, she's like my favorite person in the world. I told her, then I told my dad. And he's like, <laughs> still upset about that. Uh, <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. But yeah, it's weird. I mean, the weirdest part, and I don't, you know, this is about you, not me. But the weirdest well, part was like, come- about both of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the weirdest part was like coming out and then, you know, I was like, I'm like, I don't know what it means to be gay. Like, I was like, it was just like, yeah. all of a sudden my identity shifted. And my dad would bring me like gay socials and stuff. Like, you know, happy hours with like, you know, like young professionals or whatever in Connecticut. And I was clueless. So I'd like, people like, oh, who are you here with? I'm like, oh, I'm here with my dad. And people would be like, oh, you have a daddy? I'd be like, yeah, I don't know. Like my (laughs) dad brought me. And it took me like three times to be like, oh, this is like a thing. So so I'd be like, my biological father is here. And people like, and like people fetish still, you know, like I I go to P-Town with my dad or go to different places and you know how gay people get. Sure. Without a filter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it can well, have was, stuff, but uh, I was just gonna add that I'm also very grateful because I I knew so young, um, and I I think uh, I think I got off lucky. I feel like it's sometimes a struggle for so many people to figure out who they are. Um, and I remember I was a little kid, J.C. Penney's catalog came and I was obsessed you know every Christmas uh the new toys would be in the JC Penney cab like I'm probably I gosh sometimes you know I've been saying things like that and I'm starting to feel so old like I realize 37 isn't old but yeah. like a lot of people don't know what a JC Penney's magazine probably. yeah it like slowly happens you're like oh I'm old like I'm kind of old yeah. now we're yeah. both of us yeah. are on TikTok so like you know <laughs> we're old but cool I found you on TikTok so oh right we're, right we're pretty cool we're, we're pretty young cool. <laughs> yeah pretty much pretty or much we're just, we're just losers but so the catalog came and you're like oh and I was like a little kid I mean I was too little for it to be like sexualized but um I loved looking at the men's underwear section mm. and it wasn't like I was way too young just to be super clear it's way too young it was not I mean, I'm sure it was something instinctual, but like I was, it was not like, it wasn't <laughs> creepy, I promise. And I remember my sister coming in and she was like, oh, let's look at the toys. And um, I was like, just a minute, let me finish. And she was like, this is weird. Like, why are you looking at other, and like, and that was the first, you know, that was like, I, I remember it so clearly. I remember where I was sitting. That was just like, oh, what? it's weird. Why? Why? Oh, well, I wasn't, I was looking, I just like to look at I didn't, you know, it was just like, just a whole like explosion of processes. And I was literally probably like six, maybe five. Um, I mean, it's one of my very earliest memories. So I don't know. I th- I'm grateful that I, I didn't have a struggle. I just kind of always knew that 
hey, this is what it is. This is where I have, have grown up. Uh, I maybe can't burst out of the closet right now, but you know, someday, someday right. I'll live someplace else where I can and things will be fine. Yeah, and I can imagine like you said, going into the theater program where it's like, you know, you're surrounded by many gay people, at least people who are used to being around gay people. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, for, I started taking piano when I was five and I started, you know, as, as a kid, I was very focused on music and, you know, I never had any like openly gay music or theater teachers uh, before college, uh, before high school. Um, but, uh, you know, I was just always around a supportive environment. I mean, they, they might not have been gay, but they were, you know, part of, uh, part of our community in a way. Very That's fantastic. Um, Lucky. Cool. Well, you, you know, with your timeline, you talked about so many things that I'm interested in. Uh, So one is just, you know, I love talking about comedy a bit because I'm like, my brother's a stand-up comedian. Comedy is awesome. Yeah. uh, He's been doing it in New York for like maybe 12 years. Oh, wow. That's incredible. New York is so tough. It's, I'm so glad I started doing stand-up there because I have the, skin of a rhinoceros now <laughs> oh it's crazy you have to like yeah. my family like my family's very waspy like everyone's super anxious my whole family like mm-hmm. um and we would go to his shows or we went to certain things where like or he's on american uh america's got talent and just got like torn apart by like howie mandel and, like the car was booing him and my whole family is just like has ptsd from it and he's like no sure. it's fine i like get heckled at clubs all the time yeah. You know, you just get used to it, I guess. But yeah, um, but yeah I'm super curious about like, um, you know, it sounds like, so you went, you did theater improv, then you transitioned to stand up. Um, would love to even just like know what that experience is like in New York, like doing stand up and then are you still doing it in Utah? Yeah, so it was, uh, it was awesome and uh, awful all at the same time. Um, New York is brutal. Well, in, in all capacities, but especially, <laughs> especially for comedians, you know, I mean, in New York, the, you know, first thing, there's so much uh, competition and there's so much talent that uh, the majority of the shows you're doing for the first, I don't know, years that you're trying to do stand up um, are, uh, you know, you're, you're never making money. Uh, they're usually, uh, you know, in the beginning, they're definitely open mics in clubs that nobody pays to go see an open mic. It's just other angry, disgruntled comedians there right. who leave the second they go up. And, you you know, if you're not in the first, like, third of, of, of people to go up uh, during an open mic, you're probably not going to have an audience. Everyone leaves. Um, super, super, super unsupportive world. <laughs> You know, I get like been in the theater world, dabbled in film and television, uh, you know, usually a really big sense of community and camaraderie. And I at least uh, haven't experienced that to a great degree in the comedy world. I think, you know, comedians are, um, it's very, very raw. You are very, there are very few circumstances where you're more, more vulnerable than you are when you're doing a stand-up set. You're really kind of showing everything. And uh, so it's terrifying. And um, I think it causes a lot of confidence issues probably with comedians. Oh, and I don't know, it's just a wild, wild world in New York. Um, <laughs> you know, to go to an open mic and have someone there who paid money 
like in Salt Lake, you go to open mics and like people pay like to come to the club to watch open mics, <laughs> not just family members, like real right, people. Right. <laughs> and that doesn't, that doesn't exist in New York <laughs> at no, all. The, yeah, you're right. There's just so much like, comp, like distraction competition and like you can go anywhere. Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, on any given something. night, there's 15 like fucking top notch comedy shows in New York. Who's going to shell out even $5 to go see a bunch of people who only half know what they're doing? <laughs> Completely. And I, I want to try stand up so bad, but I'm like, I just know that like for so long, it's going to be really, really shitty that I'm like, I don't know if I could do it, but I, I would, I, I would like to try. Yeah, definitely. Caroline's on Broadway actually has a great class um, that, that I would recommend. It's a nice safe space where you can, can work on jokes. Um, and it takes a lot of the fear out of it to feel um, it's very writing focused. And so it takes a lot of the fear out of it when you feel like you have a little bit more control over how things are going to go. And if you're not just rolling up on stage, unorganized, shooting the shit, you do have a certain amount of control over how things are going to go. I think coming from the theater world, I... Uh, I'm always very prepared. I mean, you have to read the room and make adjustments. If something right. happens, you have to acknowledge it and go with it. Um, you still have to be on your toes. But 97% or more of the words that come out of my mouth are are planned, like to 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 the word. And I think it's just because I come from that uh, that theater world where that's very comfortable <laughs> to, right. to sort of have a script. Um, but I, I think those are the comedians that I like that like blow my mind most. Um, the ones who now a lot of comedians will be super planned and will give the appearance that it's casual that they just oh they just right. thought of that on the moment. But there are some comedians who are who truly can just just fucking roll up on stage and just kill it. And I like that just blows my mind. I think that is so incredible. I cannot imagine having that skill. Likewise, I'm like. Yeah, and I think I know like the type, some of the types of comedians that you, that seem kind of random and it's unscripted, like maybe Jacqueline Novak or like John Early, those types, you know? And yeah, like, or um, Amy, how am I blanking on her name? Amy. <laughs> Amy Schumer? Schumer? Yes, thank you. Uh, Amy Schumer, uh, I don't know if you've ever watched many of her like late night appearances, but that is like she... <coughs> Excuse me. She freaking kills um, kills late night uh, appearances, and it's because she uh, it comes off as being so casual, as so unplanned. And I mean, what most people don't realize is like her people met with the producers before the show and they said, Hey, here's the material she wants to get into the interview. And they crafted, I mean, they, you know, they crafted questions like it's so planned. And like, right. that, like that is so impressive to me. If you haven't watched um, like some of her tonight show appearances, like check them out because every time she kills and uh, it's effortless, or at least it seems that way. Right. Yeah. I think it's like everything, every time, even if you're doing a set, <clears throat> right for late nights like everything has to be vetted and like approved i believe oh yeah like almost There's nothing no... is just like yeah shit that's shot like it's organized who are who are like a few of your favorite favorite comedians if you have any i mean so i um love a lot of uh older comedians um like i when i was a kid i, I was obsessed with lucille ball um phyllis diller i don't know if you're like familiar with not phyllis very diller. 
so she passed away oh, a handful of years, uh, but she was, well, have you uh, seen uh, Marvelous Miss Maisel? Oh yeah, 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 I love it. So Jane Lynch's character, um, the, like her rival comedian, the super uber famous comedian. Mm, like the queen's so, persona. Yeah, I don't know that they base that in any way, shape, or form off of Phyllis Diller, but her persona was was kind of similar. Um, a lot of her jokes were around her fictional husband, um, and it was very kind of like formulaic, like jokey. Um, mm-hmm. So, so that's like what I grew up loving. Um, Ellen DeGeneres, I remember when she came out on her show, um, that was super impactful for me. I actually, I remember watching my parents watch that episode and that's what I was focused on. I was like, how are my parents going to react to this? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was a big, uh, also like Mitch. Oh. That, that moment, I'm just saying that moment was massive. Like, you know, it wasn't that, that long ago, you know, in our history, but it was yeah it was it was was huge um so brave and memorable it's kind of shocking i think that the uh television industry like had to be drug along like that you know we talk about the theater world that's so so um gay (laughs) you know so warm and welcoming and, and and open um and I guess it's probably not that the television community itself was that way, but it was more about the money. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it, they maybe didn't care, but um, at the that, end of the day, you got to sell your show, right? Right. hundred percent. So you're more into like, yeah, a lot of older comedians. Um, yeah. Well, also like, gosh, I guess they're all dead. Like Mitch Hedberg, do you know, do you know who he was? I know the name, but I'm like, I can't place a face. He was a really unique comedian. Um, I'm not sure when he passed away. Uh, he's been gone for a while. He was just, he did just done his first comedy special and then he, he, he overdosed, but he was um, a master of super short one-liners. Um, he also had a very specific persona that was very, um, very uh, bland. And he would just in the most, uh, boring way just deliver six words that just they just fucking slay you'd just be like on the floor laughing but did he um, pa- is he like re- was he, did he pass away recently like is he uh i mean i don't know when it was but it was probably like the early thousands maybe oh okay maybe. so it's still been a bit i'm guessing probably like 2000 to 2008 somewhere in there mm-hmm. i didn't discover him until he was um until he had already passed away um but I think because, you know, all those comedians that I listed are all very jokey, especially the older ones. That was obviously, like, very much the style. And that's kind of how I started. And I, I also adore, um, like, Mike Birbiglia, who's much more, like, story-focused. Mm-hmm. And so that's been, um, you know, this, this film, Once is Enough, part of that idea was an exercise in um, expanding my jokes to tell a bigger story. Got it. Mike Birbiglia, was, he was actually the first comedian I've ever seen live. Like, my dad brought me and my brothers in to the city. Oh, like, how cool. We were in, like, high school or something, and we saw him. Yeah, um, how cool. That's awesome, yeah. Oh, totally. Him. Um, awesome. So that's a good segue, then, because I am curious. Um, I feel like we could talk about comedy forever, because I'm, like, I'm, I am obsessed with it. But um, so that segues into, like, your filmmaking. So yeah. you said you moved to L.A., and then eventually made your way to where you are now and what was 
the like the film idea that you had and like what was that timeline and um how did that come to fruition yeah well you know i mentioned i was in missouri for almost a year um at the end of my mom's life and especially the last three months were pretty brutal she was in the icu the whole time for the whole three months and you know i was sleeping on a hospital waiting room we had a hotel nearby but i just uh i don't know i just couldn't I don't know, just the thought of her like being there alone, like what if something happened to be in a, in a hospital? And I just, I don't know, I just, I couldn't not have someone there. So I slept on the waiting room floor every night for three months. And the hospital waiting room had a, a trail running magazine in it. I had tons of obscure <laughs> magazine subscriptions. And I kind of took to this trail running magazine. It really interested me. Um, and then I kept doing research on my phone and we had a particularly bad day in the ICU <clears throat> and I just went to a running store, bought a pair of shoes and went for a run and wow. immediately like fell in love with it. Um, you know, I was never an athlete as a kid. Um, you know, at this, at this time I was six foot two, 340 pounds. Um, oh. and the the number one it was very playful to be on a trail to be you know like jumping over logs and things was really fun and engaging and felt more adventurous than it was uh, but i loved it um and you know as a big dude it was amazing to not have people like nobody was watching me nobody was timing mm. me i wasn't racing anyone nobody was judge you know there was no, it was just me it was just me in the woods so anyway, fell in love with, with trail running, um, got a little bit obsess obsessive uh, as she was declining. And then when she passed away, you know, I was a total mama's boy and, you know, I, it didn't go well <laughs> for me. I uh, was, um, you know, grieving, depressed. I wasn't, I was just, you know, generally just unhappy, maybe not uh, overtly, but um, you know, things weren't going well. I went back to New York career-wise, things kind of come to a halt when you just disappear <laughs> for a year. Sure. So I was like, you know what, if, if, if there's ever a time to, I had been thinking about moving to, to California, I had been wanting to explore film and television more. I was like, you know what, if there's a time to do it, let's do it now. So I moved, I moved to LA um, and all I wanted to do was like disappear into the woods to, to run and write and tell jokes. And one of my friends kind of had the idea of redirecting it into maybe a more positive, uh, well, into something more positive. I mean, I was, um, I would just disappear. I would just be like, hey guys, I don't know, I'm taking my backpack and I would just go backpacking for a few days. Like, wow. I just disappear, not really knowing where I was going. I, just, I wasn't in a great place. I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't uh, at a hundred percent. But that immediately sparked the idea. I was like, oh my gosh, like what if I, what if I could combine those two things in some way? Like what if there's a way to, uh, to run uh, too much, uh, also tell jokes. I also would love to also not die of heart disease like my mom at 58. Mm. And you know what? I'm sitting around waiting for other people to offer me uh, opportunities in comedy. Is there a way to kind of create my own opportunity? And that's when the idea for the film uh, hit me. I was like, what if I train for a 100 mile ultra marathon 
uh, we f film it as documentary footage. I write my first hour of material about the whole experience. We film that. And then we uh, juxtapose those two elements together in a documentary comedy hybrid film thing of some sort. So I'm fully enthralled to the film. I'm like fully enthralled. I'm like, I need to see it now. <laughs> like, oh, good, good, good. Yeah, it's like, so amazing. You can. you can see it everywhere. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll make sure people know how to how to find it. Um, that's just like such an amazing story and like journey, where it's just like, do you in hindsight just? It's just like it all kind of seems like it worked out in its own little interesting way. You know, do you look back and you're like? kind of put this piece like the dots that were connected through this experience and that it was born out of like something that was really tumultuous and difficult like the passing of your mom that's like uh, unbearable and I am sorry that you have to go through that yeah well thanks I mean I think um uh it was without question the best therapy I possibly could have found I can't imagine that there's any therapist out there who could have uh guided me through healing in a better, faster, more whole way. Mm -hmm. uh, I could be wrong, <laughs> but um, <laughs> we're gonna get a lot of like hate mail from really good therapists who listen. Yeah, here, here it comes. Sorry, <laughs> I'm sure you could have done better, but this this was an okay an okay solution as well. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I think a lot of people watch the film and come away from it thinking, not that they don't think it was hard, but think like, oh, what, like a cool story. Everything just kind of happened and went well. And how cool, everything worked out for him. <laughs> <laughs> and it did work out in the end. But I mean, you know, there's there's so many, I mean, I think everyone obviously uh, thinks that, uh, you know, they see running a 100 mile ultra marathon as the, the probably the most difficult component of this. Uh, but hands down, the filmmaking process was the, the bigger marathon without question. Mm. I mean, not only do I, you know, is this my first film project and I barely know what I'm doing. We started with uh, decent funding on the horizon. We were green lighted by a small studio in LA and they immediately got acquired right as we started ramping up and everything just got shut down. <laughs> so we had to uh, raise a little bit of money ourselves and essentially just you know, bootstrap and or for free <laughs> throw this throw this film together and there were so many obstacles we thought it was going to take i we i thought it was going to take less than three years and it ended up at a little over five years which if you watch the film you'll know why there was a part uh, part of a delay but you know literally just every every step it seemed that there was a roadblock and thank god my first film project was on a uh, subject matter that I was super passionate about, that there was zero chance I could have quit because I would have, without question, felt like I had, you know, let my mom down or in some way not honored her by finishing this project. So quitting wasn't really an option. And thank God, because there were so many opportunities to quit. And if it was right. a subject matter that I was less passionate about or less invested in, I never would have finished it, ever. It never would have gotten finished. There were too many obstacles where any reasonable person would have just shut it down and said, hey, it's, <laughs> it's time to call it. Really? It was fun, but let's, let's stop. Well, it just sounds like, you know, like training for something that large is difficult enough than to like also have this massive project alongside with it. 
you could, you know, I could tell how just like complex and difficult that could have been. I'm curious, so just no spoilers because I don't know how it ends, but here you are. But like, uh, <laughs> did it culminate with you running the race? Is that the idea of it? Like during the ultra, yeah. the hundred? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I Amazing. Oh, congratulations. That's fucking. Eventually. Got it. You'll have maybe to watch to find out. Maybe spoils things. That's wild. I mean, I, I trained for a regular marathon like wow, years ago and I, I ran that and that completely changed my life. So I yeah. can't imagine like this, you know, huge project alongside with running something so massive. Uh, yeah it was epic especially like you know I I definitely wasn't coming from a place of fitness (laughs) um so I mean I I trained for a little over a year and just the first like three or four months were just me getting to like a very modest baseline level of fitness and just being able to run like a whole mile without stopping was huge at, at, at the beginning so yeah, it was it was massive, and, and that was also a huge a huge cause for for delay. I imagine that all of these things could kind of happen concurrently. The, mm-hmm. the training and running of the 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 race. I could start writing the show. I could start working on um, you know the film, and it, as it turns out, that's not within a single human's capacity. Right. <laughs> and so, so having to kind of achieve, like uh, you know, knock one out at a time is is really what what caused a lot of the delay. Was you know, you can't. I mean, when I was training, I was I was spending more than twenty hours a week running, in addition to a full time job. So I mean, you know, it it, it 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 literally had to be looked at as a part time job. Uh, and there was just there was no chance it. <laughs> oh spending six hours a week writing also the, you know it just there was no way i'm curious um about so much i'm like i'm, I'm obsessed with this this topic but um well one i'd love to just know like you know what were those first few months like like how did you learn how did you build yourself up because i think it's interesting especially for people who are listening you know who may not feel athletic or have never ran a mile it's like i think it is really good exa- good to know that you're an example of someone who went from like not being able to run at all and you know taking over a month or more to just run one mile and then eventually you're in a hundred yeah i mean it's all about um it's all about starting small and adding you know gradually increasing the amount you run uh it sounds so silly but at the beginning i was literally just adding a tenth of a mile at a time and uh, eventually, I was adding a quarter of a mile, uh, you know, every every increase. And then my increases at the end were like, hey, you're going to run five more miles than usual today. Um, but then I cannot run for three or four months, and I'm, I'm back down where I started. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's just really important to not look at the final goal and instead just focus on what you can do right now and what you can do to do just a little bit more next time. And that little bit more next time, as long as you're consistent, you know, at the end of a year, it's a whole fucking lot more. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And the cool thing is, I don't don't know if you experienced this, but it's like when you're training for something like that, like it's uncharted territory. It's like every time you run that little bit longer, you're like breaking a record. You're like, Oh, I've never ran five miles. It was incredible. Six, yeah. Seven, ten. Like mm-hmm. my my longest before I ran the full marathon was twenty one that I ran alone, and I was like, "How the fuck? Like, 
can I have run 21 miles in Prospect Park, where just I did like eight loops or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's insane. <clears throat> well, and um, yeah, I mean, I think that's something that's surprising to a lot of people. Um, it's the same with a hundred miler. Um, you know, you never ran, or at least leading up to your first marathon, you you probably didn't run. 26 miles at a time I think this was 21 the longest 20 was the longest during training yeah like, I mean I, I grew up like playing soccer so I you know I have some athleticism and but I had never run probably more than like six miles you know mm-hmm. in, in a row in my life yeah until then yeah well, I mean same with like with a hundred miler you focus more on uh, like long-term weekly mileage so the most I ever ran in a week uh, the last like the very last two weeks, I was just over 70. So I think it was like 71 or 73 miles yeah. those weeks. But the longest single run was maybe like 31 or 32 miles, which is still a lot. But it's a little terrifying to go into a 100-mile run knowing that you've never run more than 32. But you just have to have um, – you you just I guess have to have faith which is like again a you know departure from my theater you know what I was talking about earlier where I really like to be prepared and know what's going to happen and know how right. things are going to go I think it was a good growth opportunity for me because I especially the first time I was just like terrified I was just shit in my pants <laughs> the first hundred miler because I had no idea what to expect and then you're also surrounded by a bunch of I mean there are older people, there are uh, larger people at these events, but you know, 90% of the people in these, uh, you know, the starting line are hyper fit, right. <laughs> hyper fit athletes. Um, so, you know, that's a whole thing <laughs> to deal with in your brain too. Completely. Um, and how, like, oh, I have so many questions, but one, I guess one, I'm just curious your experience, like were you doing a lot of writing in your head while you're running. I mean, it's, I think that's one thing about running is that you're alone with your own thoughts for so long, you know, and even if you're listening to music, it's still, you, you know, you're still kind of almost in this weird meditative state where you're like mulling things over. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would, I would log experiences and, um, you know, I've, I've learned for me personally, the things that I immediately, uh, think are super funny typically in uh, failing on stage as jokes. Um, what I what I did focus on was uh, capturing in in words unique circumstances. So um, if I would be on my long run and I would inexplicably uh, get emotional for some reason. Why? No clue. I've been running 27 miles. My blood sugar is low. I don't feel right. I don't know why I'm running down the trail crying, right. but I am. It's just what's happening. Um, anytime something weird or interesting or unique like that happened, I would just be really purposeful in writing it down. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go so far as to say that I was able to like write. <laughs> you know, the first like maybe five to 10 miles or like would often be pretty chill. But once you get over 10 miles, like you're pretty consumed with like, you know, <laughs> surviving. Yeah. Your body's um, like, we're shutting down like all like organs and other things just to, like <laughs> keep you alive. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then it was really fun once it came time to start writing uh, this, the, this, this, the show to like go back to those stories and um, 
being able to look at it from afar, not in the moment, look at what is standing out as absurd or interesting, and then figure out like, okay, well, how does that, what does that, what am I telling here? Like, what's the, what's the point of this joke? Where's it going? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then you can start, um, you know, stretching the truth. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Awesome. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm also just curious about like what else you learned through the process of like training, like, you know, I'm curious about your diet. You have that you're vegan-ish in your diet. Like, what was that evolution? Were you, have you always been like that? Or was that something that was born out of the running? Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, having grown up on a pink farm, I, when I was a kid, I never wanted <laughs> so just to like get... a great way to start anything. <laughs> <laughs> Being well, born on a pig farm. <laughs> when one grows up on a pig farm... Um, you know, one typically would go hunting with their dad. Um, I, uh, should not have hated helping with the pigs as much as I did, but now looking back, I realized that I was kind of like always, I was super obsessed with our farm cats. I mean, obsessed with our farm cats. Um, (laughs) and looking back, like I was always like a little vegan. I just didn't know what it was. And it wasn't until I was older, um, it was right after I got back from tour, so I would have been like maybe twenty seven something like that mm-hmm. it would have been twenty six it's been twelve years. I'm a vegetarian, and it was mostly at that time it was mostly for health reasons. I was trying to 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 lose weight um that was I think, probably the biggest I had ever been when I came back from tour. Hmm. And um, so I was just kind of desperate to lose weight. So I was vegetarian first. And then a couple of years later, I transitioned to, to vegan. But I say vegan-ish because um, I would say that I am like 90% vegan. Um, I am really passionate about helping dispel the misconception of vegans (laughs) and everything that you think about vegans um, uh, of it being inconvenient or inaccessible. It is sometimes inconvenient, but um, you know, I think that uh, it's, I don't think it's really important to me that my, um, my uh, being vegan doesn't negatively impact anyone else and doesn't appear that I'm missing out or, or inconvenienced. So um, if, if, if I'm going to a restaurant and there's some Parmesan on something and it's high quality, uh, sustainably produced, uh, you know, Parmesan or, or, or whatever it might be, um, I'm not going to uh, flip out about, about that. Like yeah, that's, you won't that's flip, fine. You won't flip a table. No, no, no <laughs> tables will be flipped. I mean, I would rather be or you're we're definitely going to get some emails from some angry militant vegans. <laughs> but I just think that 90% vegan is better than 0% vegan. And I think um, 90% veganism is so much more palatable for the average person. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, I'm certainly not on a mission to get everyone to stop eating meat, but I do think if everyone could make at least a small effort to maybe um, either eat less meat, <coughs> not just meat, eat less animal products, or at mm-hmm. the very least eat better, uh, higher quality, more sustainably produced animal products, it goes a long way. Um, so. So that's why I say veganish. <laughs> no, I love it. And I think like, 
Yeah, it doesn't have to be. I mean, everyone, you know, I think it's on some kind of spectrum or everyone's on their own evolution or journey. And it's, yeah, it's easier to do something 90% than be like, I need to do 100%. And then when you don't, you're like, well, it's all over now. Because I went vegan for a little while and I felt that way where it's like, I'm on a streak, like I'm not eating any, you know, animal products. And then all of a sudden you do and you're like, well, now I'm not vegan, so I'll give up. It's like, no, there's some room, you know, for some wiggle room. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. 8% vegan is better than 0% vegan. Um, There's definitely like room for everyone. Yeah. That's, 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 that's my opinion. I love that. Um, do you, I'm just curious, like, do you have any, for somebody who is like, well, I, I'd like to explore that a little bit more. Like, is, is there any like good starting point of like resources or websites or cookbooks or anything that you're like, this was helpful for me as a vegan? Yeah. I mean, I, I Michael Pollan, I don't know if you've read any of the Michael Pollan mm-hmm. books, um, but they're all, um, they're all incredible. And that's really, I, I, I mean, he's kind of responsible for my food uh, catharsis. Um, he's just so ridiculously reasonable. He doesn't say don't any, eat any meat, don't eat any cheese. Um, he's uh, what is what is his saying? Eat um, all the food that you. Um, oh, I don't remember his saying. I'm gonna butcher it. So I'm not even gonna try. I know one it? that's Do like don't, it's like one's like eat plants, eat meat. food. That's it. That's that's it. It's eat food, <laughs> mostly plants, yeah. not too much. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And like like French fries, he says, hey, eat all the French fries you make yourself. Yeah. If you're going to take the energy to cut French fries at home and properly get, you know, get them out and fry them, if you're willing to spend that amount of effort, then have the fries because you're not going to end up having fries that often. Yeah. No, I love that. And I do. Yeah. I, I, um, I mean, I work for a nutrition school and I do health coaching and I, yeah, I, I definitely have read a lot of his books and, you know, I think he's like a documentary series that was really cool as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it's like, you know, I like, I'm glad that you're able to give exposure to kind of like your style of eating and, you know, have it be approachable. And, um, yeah, I think it's like, you can explore it. And I think for me personally, when I did go vegan for a while, I ended up pivoting from it, but it's like, I still was like, oh, I now I have a lot of, I well, one, I have a reference point of like, I don't need to eat meat all the time. You know, I like proves that. And then the other is like, oh, I have a lot of recipes and different types of foods that I can eat and incorporate into my diet. So it's fun to like explore things because you can learn from it, even if you grow away from it. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And, um, I think for me, education was really important. It, uh, I kind of dove headfirst into, um, well, like armchair nutrition. I mean, <laughs> far from a nutritionist, but I started, um, you know, for my own benefit, uh, really diving into nutrition and learning, like like asparagus, for instance, like learning what was in asparagus and what it does to my body and why it's good for me. Suddenly, adjusted my opinion on asparagus. Suddenly, I was like, oh, I I want it. I want to. I want to eat that right. and, and, and conversely like soda I remember reading I don't know why it was so effective but I read an article when I was in high school so in like 2000 uh about 
uh, soda. And I just stopped cold turkey. I mean, I've had soda since, but I have never been a, you know, any sort of regular soda drinker since then. So I don't know if anyone else is that way. But for me, like knowing really what was in my food was was really was a really huge motivator for me. Yeah, I think information is is powerful. You know, it's because people could say, oh, eat vegetables, eat, you know, you know, fresh food or whatever. And it's like, well, if you don't really understand why that matters or what it's doing to you, you know, at some kind of like micro level, then you're like, well, I'll just eat something that's more enjoyable for me. Yeah. Well, and I think I, I think I benefit from coming from an agricultural family, but most people don't know where their food comes from or what's in their food. And that's my favorite part of that saying of Michael Pollan's, you know, the first, the first two words are eat food, which sounds laughable, but it's, you know, once you really dive into it, it's really shocking how much of, uh, especially like your average Midwestern suburbanite, it's really uh, like shocking how much they're eating that like, it's not really food. It's not food. Right. It's, a, it's a combination of a bunch of chemicals and, you know, uh, 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 byproducts from uh, the making of other higher quality foods. So, you know, that was all just really shocking and alarming to me. And, and having come from an agricultural family, I just, I did know where my food come from, came from. Oh. And I was just like, oh, I should know better. Like, um, but, you know, at the same time, I mean, my, my dad also raised tons of corn and soy and wheat. Um, but it's all stuff that gets like shipped to China and used for other things. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. most of our produce is coming from, um, you know, California. Um, so it was really, you know, once I got old enough to kind of understand what was going on, it's shocking to think how many millions of acres in the Midwest are used for uh, like commodities that are sent, like like right. the, the, the we call it field corn, but the corn that like everyone thinks of when they like see Iowa or Nebraska or Missouri, it's field corn. Most of it isn't edible. It's um, it's it's uh, it's not sweet corn. <laughs> it's not like corn Got you it. could eat on the cob. It's um, super high in carbohydrates and used for you know all sorts of um, like high fructose, syrup or high fructose corn syrup, like things like that, but none of it. Uh, wow, I, I, I should be careful with the, <laughs> the absolutes that I'm throwing out. <laughs> the huge majority of it would never end up in someone's, you know, on someone's plate as corn, which right. that blew my mind once I, you know, put all that together. <laughs> no, it's so fascinating. And I think like going back to just like eating food, you know, I love the line and just like eat, just eat real food where it's like, yeah you know, whole foods, you know, if that, if you make that a rule, but yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm also in like the kind of like 80, 20 or whatever kind of breakdown you want where it's like, I try to eat well, but I don't always. And it's like, you have to be able to enjoy your life and make it work for you. However that it looks, whatever that looks like. But, um, oh, I, we need to, I need to have you on again. Cause like, there's so many things that I want to continue talking about. Um, we'll do it again but I have a bear yoga class that we have to run soon after this. Fun. I am curious. Yeah, you have to come sometime. Um, I would love to. I, I would like to just wrap it up with just like a few questions. Um, yeah. We could do like a little rapid fire uh, series here. But first of all, I'd just love to know like what would be some advice that you'd have for yourself now when you started running? So like for someone who's like, here's this. And it's like, well, I would like to buy running shoes too maybe and try it. Like what would be like a few things you would tell them to get them prepared um i think first and foremost 
well, dive into everything you can find about other runners, ultra running, trail running, um, you know, dive into the community. It is a super uh, fun, spunky, uh, supportive community. It's growing uh, massively, but it very much has a I'm not bashing road running, but it definitely has a different vibe from, vibe from the road running community. I feel like a lot of road runners are are are, are um, maybe uh, oh, I should be careful. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I said assholes. <laughs> oh no, I think just maybe more competitive. Like they tend to be, you know, more focused on time. Um, and not that that's not the case with trail running, but trail running is just so much more about the experience and having fun and just getting to the finish line. I mean, you know, in a hundred miler. There are times you're running fast. There are times you're laying on the side of the trail barfing. Like it's, it's, it's all about like, it's very much about the long game. And it's, um, it's so dramatic to say surviving, but it really is. I mean, you know, a hundred miler, usually less than 60%, often less than 40% of people who start finish. So like, it really can't be understated how big of a deal it is just to survive to the finish line. Right. There's so much opportunity to, for things to go wrong. What was the question? I think I've really gone off on a tangent. I was like, I think I asked you like, how much do you hate Roadrunners? Oh, that is not no, what you I'm And I do not hate <laughs> No, I know. I'm just messing around. Um, oh, no, I was saying just dive in. And then yeah. the second piece of advice is just to chill the F out. I was so meticulous about, oh, hey, my trainer said I have to run seven miles today. I have to run seven miles today. No, just go for a run. Hopefully right. it's seven miles. Maybe it's 10. Maybe it's four. It doesn't matter. Get out of the house. Go run. You can make it up another day. Just chill out and have fun. Like, that's what it has to be about. The se- I, at least for my personality, the second it's not fun, I'm done. <laughs> Jeffrey yeah. does not have the the patience long term for crap like that. So like if it's not fun, he's not going to do it. So that was a, a hard lesson I had to learn. It took me a good good couple months to just like, hey, chill out. Just just enjoy yourself. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. And I have similar experience where it's like, I don't know, it's like we all like life's hard enough already. We've all gone through so much. Working a day job is hard, dealing with finances and whatever adulting is hard. So it's like why make your other activities regimented and difficult and not fun too? You might as well like yeah. be able to clown and have fun. Exactly. Oh. Okay. All right. Um, what about comedy? People what about it? Like me, I'm trying to like someone like me is like, I want to maybe start like what kind of yeah. advice would you have? Um, so like plan for it to be a long haul. I love I how mean, like I've... defensive you, what about it? <laughs> I know. You're like I, what? Did I mention I started doing comedy in New York? Yeah, <laughs> I like, seem nice. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> um, uh, you know, a similar lesson, like don't, don't, well, don't give up. Um, like keep, you're going to have bad shows and if you, um, uh, if you have a bad show and you can't bring yourself to get back on stage, then, then that's, you need to, I think you need to, to take that really seriously because you're going to have bad shows. We talked about this before we started recording mm-hmm. and bad shows. It doesn't matter who you are. The fucking best comedian you've ever, you've ever discovered on the planet has had a ton of of really bad shows. They've been booed. They've been heckled. Um, they've, they've left stage crying. <laughs> um, and you just have to know that that's, that's, that's part of it. And you can't, you can't give up. And I think the other component is like, it's hard work. 
you see comedians pop up on stage and the, the best comedians make it look effortless. It right. feels like they're just shooting the shit. And most of the time they're not. So I'm not saying prepare everything, but work hard, R- work on your writing. Don't just like, Oh, this killed in a bar. Let me, let me tell it on stage. Maybe, but I bet it could be improved. Like work on it. Like, right. like, like actually like work on it, you know? Yeah. Oh, I love it. Um, what about where can people find you? How do they find your film? How do they follow you? Like, I, I'm, I'll just say your whole Instagram is just like you running in like gorgeous, like mountains and stuff. And I'm like, I want to be there. <laughs> sometimes, well, I mean, it's Instagram. So like, sometimes it looks gorgeous, but like LA is behind me, but you know, you're only seeing what we want you to see. Right. But uh, onceisenoughfilm.com is the website for the film. It's on uh, Amazon, Google Play. It should be on iTunes shortly. Um, it's on most of the, the places. Uh, and I'm at Jeffrey Binney on all the social medias. B-I-N-N-E-Y. Love it. I, I really want to watch the film now. Um, it sounds super inspiring. Yeah, Lastly, what are you having for dinner? Oh, well, so I was almost talked about this earlier, uh, <laughs> asparagus. <laughs> so I actually, <laughs> I'm actually obsessed with asparagus. Uh, but I was going to say earlier that, um, you know, just because you've gone vegan doesn't mean that everything you're eating is healthy. Uh, onion rings are vegan. Um, and Oreos. I am obs- Oreos. Oreos are vegan, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm going to have asparagus and a couple Beyond Burgers. Um, and, you know, that's that's what I was going to uh, to mention earlier is there's still a lot of, of processed uh, vegan food. So you still have to be careful. You know, I mean, I mean, these I'm going to get my protein and it's good protein. But there's, you know, there's also added fats and things. And it's, sure. it's not food, really. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Awesome. We well, listen, first of all, I really appreciate your time. And it was like we were talking about earlier, it's just so nice to to be able to chat with you. And it's like, I get to have all these great conversations with people that I just see on Instagram or, or TikTok. Um, yeah. Well, and it sounds like you're up to so many cool things. I can't wait to do yoga. Yeah. I'll send you more information on that. And yeah, well, I feel like we have so much more to talk about. So we'll have to pick this up again at another point, yeah. but I'll watch the film in the meantime. And I hope everyone else does. And yeah, we'll talk to you again soon, man. I really appreciate your time. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Good chat. <laughs> <laughs>